sickle. Bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. Hello and welcome to my study. Please come in and have a seat. As uh, Mrs. Carswell's been busy with Thanksgiving and some uh, last details settling into her downstairs room, I um, rather spontaneously decided to just record a short, uh, out-of-format episode, specifically a reading to be enjoyed by our overfull American listeners as they uh, struggle to digest their Thanksgiving dinners. With uh, that theme in mind, and perhaps a touch of jovial malice, I've chosen selections from what is surely literature's most decadent description of a feast, one provided by the Roman writer Petronius in his late first-century novel, Satyricon. The fragments of this book which survived follow the bizarre and comic adventures of Encolpius and his lover Giton, including a uh, visit to the estate of Trimalchio, a wealthy former slave eager to impress his guests with a grotesquely sumptuous feast. While his uh, wealth is undeniable, Trimalchio is amusingly portrayed as vulgar, vain, selfish, and secretly disdained by many of his guests. The dinner actually consists of uh, several short chapters with interludes of uh, snarky gossip and some entertaining stories about a witch, a werewolf, and the Cumaean Sibyl. It's also frequently uh, quite funny, and I'll post a link to the text should any of you want to read it. But in our show, I'm going to just skip through focusing on the scenes with food. We'll start with a particularly appetizing passage. At length we reclined, and slave boys from Alexandria poured water cooled with snow upon our hands, while others following attended to our feet and removed the hangnails with wonderful dexterity. Nor were they silent even during this disagreeable operation, for they all kept seeing while at their work. I was desirous of finding out whether the whole household could sing, so I ordered a drink. A boy near at hand instantly repeated my order in a sing-song voice, fully as shrill, and whichever one you accosted did the same. You would not imagine that this was the dining room of a private gentleman, but rather that it was an exhibition of pantomimes. A very inviting relish was brought on, for by now all the couches were occupied, save only that of Trimalchio, for whom, after a new custom, the chief place was reserved. Uh, and, uh, skipping ahead a bit to the uh, food. On the tray stood a donkey made of Corinthian bronze, bearing panniers containing olives, white in one and black in the other. Two platters flanked the figure, on the margins of which were engraved Trimalchio's name and the weight of the silver in each. Dormice sprinkled with poppy seed and honey were served on little bridges soldered fast to the platter and hot sausages on a silver gridiron underneath which were damson plums and pomegranate seeds. 
We were in the midst of these delicacies when, to the sound of music, Chamalchio himself was carried in and bolstered up in a nest of small cushions, which forced a snicker from the less wary. A shaven head protruded from a scarlet mantle, and around his neck, already muffled with heavy clothing, he had tucked a napkin, having a broad purple stripe and a fringe that hung down all round. Picking his teeth with a silver quill, friends, said he, it was not convenient for me to come into the dining room just yet, but for fear my absence should cause you any inconvenience, I gave over my own pleasure. Permit me, however, to finish the game. A slave followed with an ebony table and crystal dice, and I noticed one piece of luxury that was superlative. For instead of black and white pieces, he used gold and silver coins. He kept up a continual flow of various coarse expressions. We were still dallying with the relishes when a tray was brought in, on which was a basket containing a wooden hen with her wings rounded and spread out as if she were brooding. Two slaves instantly approached, and to the accompaniment of music, commenced to feel around in the straw. They pulled out some peahen's eggs, which were distributed among the diners. Turning his head, Trimalchio saw what was going on. Friends, he remarked, I ordered peahen's eggs out under the hen, but I'm afraid they're addled. Let's try them anyway, and see if they're still fit to suck. We picked up our spoons, each of which weighed no less than half a pound, and punctured the shells which were made of flour and dough. And, as a matter of fact, I very nearly threw mine away, for it seemed that a chick had formed already. But upon hearing an old experienced guest vow, there must be something good here, I broke open the shell with my hand and discovered a fine fat warbler embedded in a yolk seasoned with pepper. Having finished his game, Trimalchio was served with the helping of everything, and was announcing in a loud voice his willingness to join anyone in a second cup of honeyed wine, when, to a flourish of music, the relishes were suddenly whisked away by a singing chorus. But a small dish happened to fall to the floor in the scurry, and a slave picked it up. Seeing this, Trimalchio ordered that the boy be punished by a box on the ear. The janitor followed with his broom, and swept the silver dish away with the litter. Some glass bottles, carefully sealed with gypsum, were brought in at that instant. A label bearing this inscription was fastened to the neck of each one. Opimium flanarian, 100 years old. Uh, opimium is a name for a foreign wine, so a more exclusive one. While we were studying the labels, Trimalchio clapped his hands and cried, Ah, me! To think that wine lives longer than poor little man. Let's fill them up. There's life in wine, and this is the real opimium. You can take my word for that. I offered no such vintage yesterday, though my guests were far more respectable. We were tippling away and extolling all these elegant devices when a slave brought in a silver skeleton so contrived that the joints and movable vertebrae could be turned in any direction. He threw it down upon the table a time or two, and its mobile articulation caused it to assume grotesque attitudes, whereupon Trimalchio chimed in, Poor man is nothing in the scheme of things. An orcus grips us and to Hades flings. This skeleton before us here is as important as we ever were. 
Live then while we may this life so dear. The applause was followed by a chorus which, by its oddity, drew everyone's eye. But it did not come up to our expectations. There was a circular tray around which were displayed the signs of the zodiac, and upon each sign the caterer had placed the food best in keeping with it. Rams vetches on Aries. Uh, there's some debate about how vetches is to be translated. This could have something to do with chickpeas. Um, a piece of beef on Taurus, kidneys and lamb fries on Gemini, a crown on Cancer, the womb of an unfarrowed sow on Virgo, that would be a fetal piglet, an African fig on Leo, on Libra, a balance, one pan of which held a tart, and the other a cake, a small sea fish on Scorpio, a bullseye on Sagittarius, a sea lobster on Capricornus, a goose on Aquarius, and two mullets, little fish, on Pisces. In the middle lay a piece of cut sod upon which rested a honeycomb with the grass arranged around it. Uh, skipping ahead a bit, another tray is brought out, and then four dancers ran into the time of the music and removed the upper part of the tray. Beneath, on what seemed to be another tray, we caught sight of stuffed capons and sow's bellies, and in the middle, a hare equipped with wings to resemble Pegasus. At the corner of the tray, we also noticed four figures of Phrygian satyrs, and from their bladders spouted a highly spiced sauce upon fish, which were swimming about as if in a tide race. All of us echoed the applause which was started by the servants, and fell upon these exquisite delicacies with a laugh. At length, some slave came in who spread upon the couches some coverlets upon which were embroidered nets and hunters stalking their game with boar spears and all the paraphernalia of the hunt. We knew not what to look for next until a hideous uproar commenced just outside the dining room door and some Spartan hounds commenced to run around the table all of a sudden. A tray followed them upon which was served a wild boar of immense size wearing a liberty cap upon its head. Uh, that would be a conical cap of the type worn by uh, recently freed slaves. Uh, and uh, from its tusks hung two little baskets of woven palm fiber, one of which contained Syrian dates, the other Theban. Around it hung little suckling pigs made of pastry, signifying that this was a brood sow with her piglets at suck. It turned out that these were souvenirs intended to be taken home. When it came to carving the boar, the carver who had carved the capons did not appear, but in his place a great bearded giant with bands around his legs and wearing a short hunting cape in which a design was woven. Drawing his hunting knife, he plunged it fiercely into the boar's side, and some thrushes flew out of gash. Fowlers, ready with their rods, caught them in a moment as they fluttered around the room, and Trimalchio ordered one to each guest, remarking, Notice what fine acorns this forest-fed boar is fed on. And as he spoke, some slaves removed the little baskets from the tusks and divided the Syrian and Theban dates equally among the diners. Skipping ahead again a little, after Trimalchio has excused himself from the feast, he returns 
with some appetizing comments. He came in, mopping his forehead and washing his hands in perfume, and he said after a short pause, Pardon me, gentlemen, but my stomach's been on strike for the past few days, and the doctors disagreed about the cause, but pomegranate rind and pitch steeped in vinegar have helped me, and I hope that my belly will get on its good behavior, for sometimes there's such a rumbling in my guts that you'd think a bellowing bull was in there. So, if anyone wants to do his business, there's no call to be bashful about it. None of us were born solid. I don't know any worse treatment than having to hold it in. It's the one thing Jupiter himself can't hold in. We thanked him for his kindness and consideration and hid our laughter by drinking more and oftener. We had not realized that as yet we were only in the middle of the entertainment, with a hill still ahead, as the saying goes. The tables were cleared off to the beat of music, and three white hogs, muzzled and wearing bells, were brought into the dining room. The announcer informed us that one was a two-year-old, another three, and the third turned six. I had an idea that some rope dancers had come in, and that the hogs would perform tricks just as they do with the crowds in the streets. But Trimalchio dispelled this illusion by asking, Which one of you will be served for dinner? Any country cook can manage a dunghill cock, or Greek hash, or little things like that, but my cooks are well used to serving up calves boiled whole in their cauldrons. Before he had run out of wind, a tray upon which was an enormous hog was placed upon the table, almost filling it up. We began to wonder at the speed at which it had been prepared, and swore that no cock could have been served up in so short a time. Moreover, this hog seemed to us far bigger than the boar had been. Trimalchio scrutinized it closely, and, What the hell, he suddenly bawled out. This hog hasn't even been gutted, has it? No, it hasn't, by Hercules, it hasn't. Call that cook. Call that cook in here immediately. When the crestfallen cook stood at the table and owned up that he had forgotten to bow him, he said, So, you forgot, did you? Trimalchio shouted. You'd think he only left out the pepper and cumin, wouldn't you? Off with his clothing. The cook was stripped without delay and stood with hanging head between two torturers. We all began to make excuses for him at this, saying, Little things like that are bound to happen once in a while. Let us prevail upon you to let him off if he ever does such a thing again, not a one of us would have a word to say in his behalf. Trimalchio's face relaxed into good humor, and he said, Since your memory is so short, you can gut him right here before our eyes. The cook put on his tunic, snatched up his carving knife, and with a trembling hand, slashed the hog's belly in several places. Sausages and meat pudding, whitening the aperture by their own weight, immediately tumbled out. Skipping ahead, if you're not full, we have a little more. The next dish comes out. A boiled calf with a helmet on its head was brought in on an enormous platter. Ajax followed and rushed upon it with a drawn sword as if he were insane. He made passes flat and again with the edge, and then collecting the slices, he skewered them, and, much to our astonishment, presented them to each of us on the point of the sword. But we were not given long to admire the elegance of such service, for 
All of a sudden, the ceiling commenced to creak, and then the whole dining room shook. I leaped to my feet in consternation for fear some rope walker would fall down, and the rest of the company raised their faces, wondering as much as I what new prodigy was to be announced from on high. Then, lo and behold, the ceiling panels parted, and an enormous hoop, which appeared to have been knocked off a huge cask, was lowered from the dome above. Its perimeter was hung with jars of alabaster filled with perfume. We were asked to accept these articles as souvenirs. When my glance returned to the table, I noticed that a dish containing cakes had been placed upon it, and in the middle an image of Priapus made by the baker, and he held apples of all varieties and bunches of grapes against his breast in the conventional manner. We applied ourselves wholeheartedly to this dessert, and our joviality was suddenly revived by a fresh diversion, for, at the slightest pressure, all the cakes and fruits would squirt a saffron sauce upon us, and even spurt it unpleasantly into our faces. Being convinced that these perfumed dainties had some religious significance, we arose in a body and shouted, Hurrah for the emperor, the father of his country. The dainties that followed this display of affability were of such nature that, if any reliance is to be placed in my word, the very mention of them makes me sick at the stomach. Instead of thrushes, fattened chickens were served, one to each of us, and goose eggs with pastry caps on them, which same Trimalchio earnestly entreated us to eat, informing us that the chickens had all been boned. After a short interval, Trimalchio gave orders for the desserts to be served, whereupon the slaves took away all the tables and brought in others, sprinkled the floor with sawdust mixed with saffron and vermilion, and also with powdered mica a thing I had never seen before. Had not the desserts been brought in, we would never have gotten to the end of these stupidities, namely thrushes made of pastry and stuffed with nuts and raisins, quinces with spines sticking out so they looked like sea urchins. All of this would have been endurable enough had it not been for the last dish that was served. So revolting was this that we would have rather died of starvation than to have even touched it. We thought that a fat goose flanked with fish and all kinds of birds had been served until Trimalchio spoke up. Everything you see here, my friends, was made from the same stuff. With my usual keen insights, I jumped to the conclusion that I knew what that stuff was and, turning to Agamemnon, I said, I shall be greatly surprised if all those things were not made out of excrement, or out of mud at the very least. I saw a like artifice practiced at Rome during the Saturnalia. I had not done speaking when Trimalchio chimed in, My cook has made all this out of a hog. It would be simply impossible to meet up with a more valuable fellow. He'd make you a fish out of a sow's hand. If that's what you wanted, a pigeon out of lard, a turtle dove out of her ham, and a hen out of a knuckle of pork. Then, all of a sudden, two slaves came in, carrying on as if they'd been fighting at the fountain. At least, each one had a water jar hanging from a yoke around its neck. Trimalchio arbitrated their differences, but neither would abide by his decision, and each one smashed the other's jar with a club. Perturbed at the insolence of these drunken ruffians, we watched both of them narrowly while they were fighting, 
And then, what should come pouring out of the broken jars but oysters and scallops, which a slave picked up and passed around in a dish? The resourceful cook would not permit himself to be outdone by such refinements, but served us with snails on a silver gridiron and sang continually in a tremulous and very discordant voice. I am ashamed to have to relate what followed, for, contrary to all convention, some long-haired boys brought in unguents in a silver basin and anointed the feet of the reclining guests. But before doing this, however, they bound our thighs and ankles with garlands of flowers. Then they perfumed the wine-mixing vessel with the same unguent and poured some of the melted liquid into the lamps. And we'll uh, skip ahead a bit more, getting near the end. Uh, as all these guests are becoming increasingly drunk, Trimalchio becomes maudlin, and he goes on and on about the lavish funeral he desires and deserves, uh, encouraging his guests uh, to uh, drunkenly play-act their lamentations and tearful eulogies, and he then describes the monument he intends to have created in his honor, saying, I'll see to it through a clause in my will that I'm not insulted when I'm dead. And for fear the rabble comes running up into my monument to crap, I'll appoint one of my freed men custodian of the tomb. And uh, during all this uh, drunken uh, weeping, Trimalchio summoned some more performers. Hornblowers sounded off a loud funeral march together, such a fanfare that caused the whole neighborhood and the watch, which was patrolling the vicinity, thinking Trimalchio's house was afire, to suddenly smash in the door and rush in with their water and axes, raising a rumpus all their own. We availed ourselves of this happy circumstance and took to our heels as though we were running away from a real conflagration. And with that hasty escape, we'll end our reading from Petronius, uh, which makes our American Thanksgiving feast sound rather tame, doesn't it? Um, almost uh, severe and uh, Puritan which of course would be appropriate. In any case, uh, festive greetings to you all, and Mrs. Carson and I will be back with some Christmas lore and history in December.